Welcome to the ATS section on medical education podcast on academic writing, the methods section. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we'll continue our podcast on academic writing by discussing the M in the IMRAD model, the methods section. Let's talk about the overall purpose of the section, discuss necessary content, as well as thoughts on practical structuring, and end with some tips for success. So the purpose of the methods section is to describe the steps necessary to answer the study hypothesis. This really highlights the importance of the introduction section and the importance of a well-crafted, focused research question. The better you do with that, the more it will naturally lead into the logical methodology to be used. For example, imagine you're interested in overuse of C. diff PCR testing in the hospital setting. That's a relatable problem to clinicians. And in your intro section, you articulate the problem further as it can lead to false positives, inappropriate antibiotics use with potential for adverse events. Great start. But if you end there as a reader, I have no idea what your particular study is going to try to address. Are you interested in just defining the scope of the problem, which may entail a quantitative multicenter inpatient study using EMRs to look for overuse and adverse events? Or are you interested in the hearts and minds of providers to understand why providers order the tests when not indicated, which may entail a qualitative study design using surveys, focus groups, and semi-structured interviews? My point in this example is that it's necessary to further define what is known from what is unknown and what is the specific research question you are trying to address. This will then lead naturally into the methodology to then be used. Another way to look at the methods section is under the guise of reproducibility, that you are providing enough information for another researcher to reproduce your study if they so decide. It's a bit like a recipe. You've created a great uh, jambalaya, and this is your chance to share that recipe that you used. Sorry, I I may use some other food analogies during this podcast. It's kind of getting close to lunchtime now. (laughs) Now, there's a website you might find useful, equator-network.org, and I'll have this and other references on the ATS SOME webpage for this podcast. This website promotes transparent and accurate reporting guidelines. So depending on the study design of your study, you can click on a guideline that specifies the elements to be reported for your given study type. Check it out. See if you find it useful. Okay, so let's move on to the actual content of a method section. I'm going to break it down into about six different subsections. Study design, setting, subjects, data collection, data analysis, and approvals. Let's start with study design. This is your chance to provide internal validity. In other words, demonstrate a credible approach to answering your research question. Is this study observational or is there an intervention? Is it prospective or retrospective? randomized or unrandomized, looking forward a cohort study prospectively, or looking back a case-controlled study, or maybe a case report or case series, or data collected longitudinally or cross-sectionally. These are the types of questions that need to be addressed in this specific subsection. 
Next is setting. Was this a single institution or multi-center study? The type of institution, academic tertiary care, community-based hospital, outpatient setting, if it's important. Also geographical area, if that's important. Inpatient, outpatient, clinic, ICU, ED. What was the setting under which this study occurred? You really just need to ask yourself which, which facets of the setting are of potential importance to the reader. Also, timing of the study. If this study occurred over the last 10 years, well, standard of care may well have changed over that time. Or there may have been newer papers that have changed relevant practices. Also, timing may have relevance for the design and the results as well. A study on intern competence or intern burnout performed in September may be much different when compared to a study performed in June. The next subsection would be subjects. Now this could be cell lines, animals, humans, and for the reader you're answering the issue of external validity. In other words, the applicability of your results and the generalizability of your findings to the reader's patient base or extrapolation to other populations. Where did you get those cell lines, animals, humans? What was the sampling method, consecutive, convenience, etc.? What were the inclusion and exclusion criteria? This also allows the reader to better understand any selection biases that may be in your study, as well as address applicability and generalizability concerns. Was there a control group, and how were they matched? These are the types of things that should go into this subsection. The next subsection is data collection, which is a combination of two different focuses. You're going to describe any intervention that was used, as well as outcome measurements or study endpoints that were measured. The intervention, if any, is really the independent variable or variables in your study, the thing that you manipulated to see if it has an effect on other variables. And when it comes to describing the interventions, there's a 2008 paper in Singapore Medical Journal by Eng, spelled NG, that lists in nice small boxes how to describe different materials and subjects used for a materials and methods section. They list the elements that you should describe when dealing with animals, drugs, cultures, reagents, or equipment. I think it could serve as a handy checklist if you're writing about any of those. Another point to make regarding interventions is that it's okay to reference past work or well-known guidelines. So if you created an assay and previously published its methodology, you don't need to rehash it here. Just cite the previous paper. Similarly, if I'm using standard spirometry and plethysmography in my study, I don't need to go into the methodology of these. They're well understood. I can just simply say patients underwent standard spirometry and plethysmography as per ATS ERS guidelines, period. Citation. Done. Move on. The other focus of data collection subsection is the outcome measurements. These are the dependent variables in the study. What was measured? Was it cell apoptosis or all-cause mortality? You can also differentiate between primary and secondary outcome measurements. How was it measured? If you were measuring quality of life, what measurement tool did you use? Other tools include questionnaires, surveys that you used, interview protocols, or even literature search strategies that you could define. When was it measured? And who measured it? If it's a study looking at basilar fibrosis on CAT scans, 
Who or what did the measuring? Was it a computer program or three independent radiologists, each with greater than 10 years of chest CT experience? In the latter, you're going to have to discuss inter-observer or inter-relator reliability. If it's a study on point-of-care ultrasound in the ICU to diagnose DVTs, it's important to mention who's actually doing the ultrasounding and their prior experience. Also with the who, were individuals blinded to either the interventions or the measurements? So overall, it's the who, what, when, and how relating to the study endpoints or outcome measurements. The fifth subsection is data analysis. This is where you discuss the statistical analyses you'll use to interpret the data. Any commercial statistical computer software that you used, values that you used to denote significance, what you did with missing data or any adjustments of the data to account for confounding effects, any interim analyses that were planned, as well as a sample power calculation. Now, alternatively, the power calculation could instead have been included in the subject subsection. And the last of the subsections deals with kind of approvals. So here you can discuss ethical issues such as patient consent or assent, patient confidentiality, any approval by an IRB or for animal studies by an animal care committee, any prior trial registration. Now funding could go here or maybe separately reported depending on the journal. So this is essentially the section that deals more with ethics and approvals uh, institutionally or, or so internally or externally. So that sums up the content of the method section. Regarding structure, I think the way I laid it out makes conceptual sense. You're starting with the study design and setting, and then since it's a materials and methods section, you discuss the materials, i.e. the patients, animals, cell lines that were observed in the study, then discuss any interventions performed on those subjects, discuss what effects were measured, i.e. data collection, the analyses used to interpret the data, data analysis, and end with ethical concerns. Now the one point I'll make is that although we're discussing theoretically the content and structure of the methods section, it's important to have a specific journal in mind when you start writing and cater to that journal's structure, which should be found in their Instructions to Authors uh, section on their website. Okay, so let's end with some tips for success. First tip, which piggybacks on the concept of structuring your paper according to the journal you plan to submit to, is to look at prior papers that either involve your topic or your methodology. Those prior published papers are a great resource for you to see overall structuring, but also the level of detail necessary for certain things you're going to explain in your own method section, as well as how to word certain things as well. The second tip is brevity or succinctness. While you want to be complete, you also want to be concise. I've written method sections that balloon to where it's as long as the rest of the paper. That's okay to start, but you'll ultimately need to pare down to the essential ingredients and list them in a focused manner. The third tip is more technical. Watch your tenses. Decide if you're going to use active versus passive voice. Active, we recruited patients from and implemented a system and measured these outcomes versus passive patients were recruited from, and a system was implemented, and these outcomes were measured. Main thing is to stay consistent. And the last tip I have for you is to align your methods with your results. 
So after writing your results section, go back to the methods that you've written and relook at it. Inevitably, there are things that you never report in your results that make some of the items in your methods section unnecessary and extraneous that can be removed. By aligning your methods and results, you can create a more consistent, coherent storyline. Okay, so I'll stop there. So in recap, we talked about the purpose of the methods section, the content and structure for the section, as well as some practical tips that hopefully will lead you to success. Uh, hopefully you found that useful. Stay tuned for the next ATS SOME podcast on academic writing, where I tackle the results section. Bye, everyone.